So do you let somebody like like this guy who has clear problems and issues uh, just decide for himself that, no, he's fine, when you look at his living situation and the way that he is forced to exist out on that sidewalk and say, really, is this the best that we can do for him? That's the voice of today's guest, Rick Hooper, co-president of the Uptown Alliance. I'm Jeff Shulman, a professor at UW's Foster School of Business, and today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast continues a seven-week look at one of Seattle's most pressing challenges, homelessness. Each episode this season will bring you voices from a variety of perspectives. You'll have an opportunity to get to know some of the members of your community who are experiencing or who have experienced homelessness. You'll also hear from individuals and civic leaders who are working to address the issue. Through this episode and others this season, you'll have a chance to learn, feel, and possibly get inspired. In last week's episode, King County Executive Dow Constantine spoke about the regional approach to homelessness. We need to expect that we're not going to have folks on our streets. We need to recognize that this is not normal and it's not acceptable. You heard from Ty, who was living outside City Hall, when I caught up with him in Season 1 of Seattle Growth Podcast. They said that, you know, everybody's eating up here, so that's why I came up here. So I like to eat, so I wanted to come up here and eat with everybody else. And you heard an update on housing affordability from Robert Wasser, owner of Prospera Real Estate and a director of the Northwest Multiple Listing Service. Three bedrooms are basically unchanged year over year, and they're currently, uh, the previous 90 days were at $3,010 median for a three-bedroom unit. Before we get to today's interview with Rick Hooper, who describes how residents and business leaders in the Uptown Alliance are dealing with the homelessness challenge. Join me as I sit down with Tyrus Gilbertson, who I met at Mary's Place early on in my journey of Seattle Growth Podcast. I'm here at Mary's Place with Tyrus Gilbertson. Tyrus, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. So, Tyrus, why don't you start, uh, tell me a little bit about your kids. Um, I have a 14-year-old boy, Riley, and a 7-year-old girl, Corinne. And tell me about uh, your 14-year-old. What does he like to do? Um, he basketballs his life, his whole life. Uh, he was on, he was eighth grade varsity. And uh, he, next year he's going to go into ninth grade, which is a big change. I was like, Riley, it's going to be so much different. You know, it's like, you know, kids to practically adults, you know. And tell me about Corinne. Uh, Corinne, she's first, she was first grader and she's going into second grade next year. But yeah. What does she like to do? Everything. She mostly hang out with me, but we go we go uh, fly kites and all kinds of stuff. We like to go to the Seattle Center. Yeah. What's your favorite thing to do with with Riley and Corinne together? Well, we we, we go to the Seattle Center a lot. There's a lot of festivals going on over there, and uh, the Armory's over there. That's pretty cool. They have a lot of stuff to look at, and they have that big giant play place. Yeah, I don't know if you ever seen it. It's like a big. It's like Disneyland of play places. It's pretty cool. And how do you know that Riley and Corinne love you? Because uh, sometimes when she goes to the kids' club and she's there by herself, you know, when she finally, I come to pick her up, she just runs at me, like almost tackles me, knocks me over with a big hug. And yeah. And what about Riley? Riley, he doesn't show it like that, but I know he loves me because he says he loves you. He says, I love you, Dad, you know, before he goes to bed or whatever. So even though he's a, almost a teenager, no, he is a teenager. Sorry. <laughs> so even though he's a teenager at this point, he's still willing to let you know that he loves you behind closed doors. Yeah, <laughs> not in front of his friends. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so, how long have you been at Mary's place? Um, about eight months. 
And where were you before that? Um, I was, we were staying in a hotel. Yeah. Uh, which hotel? Um, it's closed down now, but it's called the Close In on Aurora. What were you doing between the hotel and Mary's Place? Did you go straight from the hotel to here? To, yeah. And what does Mary's Place mean to you? Um, they saved, they saved our family. I mean, we were like, I was like literally rock bottom. Like if they wouldn't have been there, I don't know what would happen what would have became of us but yeah they saved us they put us here we were stable after that the kids were you know it was easier to take them to school every day and yeah they they didn't miss not one day of school the whole day the whole time we've been here how did you find yourself at rock bottom um uh well the kids mom uh took off and to another state and i had to step up and so I was, I was like, well, if you don't want to be here with him, I love him to death, so I'm, I'll be here, you know, and I, I'm not a quitter, so I'm like, I can do this, I know I can do it, and I just stuck around and did what I had to do for my kids. And so what are you doing for your kids? Um, I'm getting stable housing, I just got my King County Section 8 voucher, and I'm pretty close to getting my, our own place, and then I'm going to go to welding school and become a welder and provide for my family. And are you working now? No. Are you looking for work? Oh, uh, yeah. What, what are you doing to look for work? Um, I have a, a job advocate that helps me look, search for work. And what have they done to help you in that search? Um, she, this like their, their whole expertise. Is, uh, she's, what I wanted her to do is she was going to line me up for, with a welding school, South Seattle College. It's like a six-month course. And you get certified and everything. And, yeah, that's what I wanted her to do. And how'd you find yourself without a job? Um, just I had to had to be there, take care of the kids. It's, it was hard to I can't like go off and do that, and then you know I have to be there for them. Were you working before the children's mother left? Um, I was like uh, like labor ready and stuff like that, temporary stuff. And and so the children's mother gave you the kids. When was this? Um, it. Eight and a half months ago. Okay. So eight and a half months ago, you were also in a hotel then? No, no. I, we were, I was staying with a friend of mine. We were actually all staying with, with uh, it was actually a friend of hers. Okay. And then she ended up getting evicted. And we went, that's when we didn't have a place to go. And she took off to Oklahoma with a, and got married to a, a long haul truck driver. So walk me through kind of this, your life a little bit. Um, when did you find yourself without a place of your own, and how do you feel that you got there? Um, well, originally, I'm not even from Seattle. I had to actually come down here to take care of the kids. And uh, just not being from here, was it was hard. I didn't really know the city at all. And uh, so, I mean, I had even had to panhandle for a few times to pay for my motel room. For quite a few, I was in there for four months, but... Um, and then CPS got involved because they weren't going to school. And that's when I had to come here and get, got, got them all re-registered to school. And they started going to school every day. And, and I, how did it feel to be panhandling? Oh, it's, it's horrible. It's like one of the, cause I was always a shy person growing up. And I don't know, it's just something I, I would never want to do again. First time in my life I would have ever had to do that. It was a hard thing to do, really hard. And, and why did you, why did you do it then? 
out of desperation, I believe, I think, you know, just like I had to think of something like real quick and I've never done it before. I just figured I'd give it a try and it, it worked. And when you looked into Riley and Corinne's eyes and you knew that there's a chance that they would uh, be taken away from you, what was going through your head then? Um, I knew I had to step up and I couldn't let that happen. And, uh, the the judge was actually on on my side too. She's like, she's like, I can, I can tell this guy's a good, you know, and he loves his children. She's like, I want, I want to keep the family together is what she said. And I I was like, Oh, thank you so much. You know? And yeah. So she gave me full custody of the kids. And and then four months later, after I did, I did all the stuff that they wanted me to do. And they dismissed my case. Now that the kids are yours, you're in Mary's place with a plan. Uh, what are what do you see for the future? I see we're gonna our, our life's gonna get better and make sure that you know don't make some of the mistakes I've made in the past. You know, and just keep going forward with my life. And what are your dreams for your kids? What do you hope for them? Just to be successful and grow, grow up, and you know grow up to be good people, good adults and learn good values and good manners and, and live life to the fullest. And do you have hopes in particular for, for Riley for the, his high school years? Um, yeah, he seems to think he's going to be a basketball star, but I, we'll see. Um, he's pretty good. He's got, he can dri- dribble really good. You know, he, he, what he calls it, break your ankles. <laughs> oh, nice. And what about Corinne in particular? What do you hope for her in the next five years? Um, um, just don't grow up too fast. I'm gonna once she gets to you know starts growing up too much, I'm, I'm gonna miss it. Yeah, definitely gonna miss it. And go back again. To, go back to when you're living in a hotel. The kids are yours. How did you feel? What what emotions or thoughts were going through your mind as you're trying to just make it work and it's not seeming to work? It's yeah, it's really emotional. It's stressful. Um, you get depressed, and I just, I just kept myself trying to keep myself as busy as I could. And I mean, my dad helped me out quite a bit too. And uh, I without him, he he helped out a lot. Without him, I probably wouldn't have, you know, made it through this situation either. But um, I just never gave up hope, and because uh, I was a, I was a wrestler, I wrestled in high school, and my wrestling coach was like, "Never give up." He always he instilled it in me, you know. Nothing, nothing, you know, nothing's impossible. You know, you can if you try your heart best, you know, you can accomplish anything. So, yeah, I was so I've never had a I give up type attitude ever. And if you could get a message out to the people of Seattle about why they should care about parents who are either struggling with homelessness or on the brink of homelessness, what would you say to them? I know that a lot of parents out there love their kids. Like, I love mine very much, you know. And uh, like I said, Mary's Place, they saved our family. I owe, I owe them everything. Um just like I, I tried my best and, you know, and you just got to try your best and, you know, stay busy and look, try to stay positive. You can't be, you know, no negativity. 
you always got to be positive and that, that helps you through it too. How can everyday people in Seattle who go to work, come home and kiss their kids goodnight in their bed, in their own home, how could they get involved to help other parents who are not as fortunate? Um, I don't know. I guess they would have to come here and see how we, you know, are, I don't, they wouldn't be able to put themselves in our shoes, but I mean, if they see the, some of the stuff that like I've been through and the struggles and, and I, if they have children also and how much they love their children, you know, just the thought of like, just the thought of losing my kids just breaks my heart, you know, and Mary's place is like, you know, keeps us together, you know, and that's so important. And if people seen that, they would know how important Mary's place is. Do you have any concluding thoughts? Uh, yeah, it's, homelessness is huge in Seattle, I noticed. Um, a lot of people don't try as hard to get out of the homelessness situation as I, I did, but um, it's you could they could do it. I did it. And I'm like, I just got my King County Section 8 voucher. I'm, I'm about to get my own, our own apartment. You know, I'm going to get, I'm going to become a welder. Yeah, sky's the limit now. I'm never going to go down, only up. <laughs> Congratulations, Tyrus, and, and best of luck to you as you uh, pursue your dreams and, and help your children pursue theirs. Uh, thank you for your time here. Thank you. To get perspective on how a community association in Seattle is working together to address homelessness, join me as I sit down with Rick Hooper. I'm here with Rick Hooper, the co-president of the Uptown Alliance. Rick, thank you for joining me today. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Why don't we start, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm uh, one of the co-presidents of Uptown Alliance. Uh, Uptown Alliance is an organization that's been in place for about 20 years, a civic organization. It was created to provide an opportunity for residents, uh, workers, um, folks in the arts community, folks at Seattle Center, an opportunity to come together around community issues and work on those issues. Uptown is one of the six urban centers in the city. It's rapidly growing. Uh, we have a number of issues relating to lack of affordable housing and increasing amounts of homelessness. Those are uh, issues that we are attempting to work on among many others right now. It's a timely topic, and I'm happy to be here to help provide our perspective. And we had Debbie Frosto from the Uptown Alliance back in season two, uh, when you were also in the forefront of the conversation about Key Arena. So it's good to have the Uptown Alliance back here on Seattle Growth Podcast. Why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, what you did before you started uh, getting heavily involved in the Uptown Alliance? Sure. I've been primarily involved in Uptown Alliance over the last three and a half years. I'm retired. Three and a half years ago, I, I left the city. I had worked at the city of Seattle for 31 plus years in the affordable housing area. I was lucky enough to have been director the last four years that I was there. Um, during those four years, I became quite involved in homelessness issues, working with uh, Seattle Housing Authority, King County, others on uh, the solutions. We were at the tail end of the 10-year plan to end homelessness, and we were identifying changes that were needed uh, to improve the systems. Uh, in the last three and a half years, uh, I'm now an advocate and still working with many of those same folks at the city and the county around issues as they relate to Uptown specifically. Can you remind listeners, what exactly is Uptown? What qualifies as Uptown in Seattle? 
Right. So Uptown is the uh, community that surrounds Seattle Center on the east, west, and north. It sometimes is referred to as Lower Queen Anne. So it's it's a, a very interesting community. It is about 80% renter, 20% uh, homeowner. It, uh, as I said, it encompasses all of Seattle Center. We have a lot of arts organizations that are increasingly part of our group. We have uh, increasing increasingly new apartment developments happening. Uh, we've probably added 3,000, 4,000 units in the last three or four years. It's becoming, many of us think, a more vibrant, more welcoming, uh, more active community. It feels a lot safer to many of us who have lived there a long time. There are many more people on the streets. It's a, it's a lively place. It's why I chose to live there. I wanted to uh, be close to services, be able to walk to public transportation and uh, we are facing a lot of growth. We welcome that growth. Uptown Alliance feels that that growth is in our community's interest. We are trying to help shape the growth to continue to maintain and improve on the quality of life in Uptown. We have a lot of creative partnerships going with the city uh, on initiatives. We work a lot with the business sector. And our, uh, as you mentioned, Key Arena, we're very active with the city and, and OVG on what's about to happen there which we think is a potentially a very good thing. Uh, we see the arena as uh, a catalyst, um, as a way to address homelessness through jobs, and we can talk a bit more about that as we go along here. Uh, affordable housing, OVG plans to make an affordable housing contribution to the city, and we are anxious to see that contribution spent within Uptown on a housing project that can also provide assistance to um, folks in Uptown. One area of the growth that's happening here in Seattle is the growth of the homeless population. Uh, what are you seeing in Uptown? Well, I think in Uptown there is an increase in numbers of people who are homeless. We see that in increasing numbers of people who want to live at the shelter uh, or the shelters. We have several in Uptown. Uh, we see increasing encampments on the sidewalks in Uptown. Um, the capacity of shelters in Uptown has doubled approximately over the last few years. Uh, we uh, worked with the city three years ago to help open the Roy Street shelter to an opening uh, with a welcome with open arms community. Uh, at the time it was announced, there were a number of people that were starting to express concerns in the neighborhood about what is this? Do we really need this? It should go someplace else. I think we as the Uptown Alliance got together with many of the folks. I work with a lot of other people who work and who are retired in our organization, and we decided to welcome the shelter with open arms, that homelessness is an issue and a problem in Uptown, and Uptown needed to be doing its fair share to address those issues, to provide shelter, to welcome folks into the neighborhood. Let's talk a little bit about how homelessness is affecting the 80% of the people who are renters, the 20% who are homeowners, and then the, the thriving businesses that you have in Uptown. Is the homelessness challenge affecting them or simply the people who are living in streets and living in shelters? Homelessness affects everyone in the community. I think the most visible part of homelessness, the face of homelessness, so to speak, that most people see are the people in tents on the sidewalks. And everyone I talk to uh, are aware of the issue. I frequently um, uh, talk to people about the latest places people have observed those tents. Um, I think people are 
are are concerned mostly from a um, compassion standpoint. I think people feel that that how can we in a neighborhood like Uptown that is um, is is chock full of opportunity for folks and is a thriving, growing neighborhood? Uh, how can we see or have this much homelessness on our streets? Like, what is wrong? What is wrong with our system? What can we be doing more of? Um, when we have reached out to the community to um, provide clothing donations for the Roy Street shelter, uh, we get uh, clothes that fill up boxes and boxes and boxes. Um, people want to help. Uh, they are hungry for more information on how to help and what specific kinds of things could make the most difference. So along, um, and I think those are a lot of residents that I talk to. Increasingly, we've been reaching out to the business communities to see what their concerns are. And many of them express the same frustration. Tell me a little bit about what Uptown Alliance is doing with regard to homelessness. Uh, we held a community breakfast, uh, again, to welcome folks. We use that as an opportunity to sit down with the uh, 30 or 40 or so people from our shelter that were new to the neighborhood and ask them what their specific needs are. Uh, and we found out more about those needs. I think advocacy for more shelter options, that's one of the specific kinds of things that we're working on. Another relates to affordable housing. We need more affordable housing. It is difficult and complicated to find funding for it, and in particular to find sites in a built-up neighborhood like Uptown for it. In places like Uptown, uh, groups tend to look towards city-owned property as a good source of, uh, of property to, to um, locate affordable housing on. We do have a key city-owned site at Mercer and Second. Uh, it's just across from Macaw Hall. It's where Teatro Zanzani used to be. And it is a quarter of a block that could hold 80 to 100 housing units. We are working closely with the uh, city and nonprofit groups to, um, to uh, produce housing at that location as soon as possible. We, in Uptown recently, worked with the city to help get Uptown designated uh, an arts and cultural district. Uh, there are many arts organizations within Seattle Center throughout the rest of Uptown as well. We are very anxious to try to connect arts with homelessness at this particular site location, uh, including housing for people who are homeless upstairs, uh, including arts uses uh, on the first floor. Within the arts community, Seattle is a very active and big arts community, and there are segments of it that are working with people who are homeless. So our vision for that project site is uh, a project that connects arts with homelessness, and we are uh, looking at proposals actually being submitted by a number of nonprofits who are very anxious to share that vision and see what could be done. So that's an exciting uh, new opportunity that we see coming along. And then finally, I'll just say jobs. I think homelessness, you know, in Uptown, we're all about advocacy for shelter, about affordable housing, and about jobs, connecting people with jobs. And there's a great article in today's Times about the Millionaires Club and the great work that they do to connect homeless people with jobs. And uh, we have been working on that kind of thing in Uptown uh, for some time. We actually discovered a couple of years ago that the grocery stores, the restaurants in particular, 
are, are hungry for workers. At any point in time, you could look at the Safeway websites for the Uptown Safeway or the Safeway at the top of Queen Anne and find tens of jobs that are uh, open to folks. And the managers are very anxious to hire people who are homeless. And so we have attempted to hook those folks up with the uh, operators of the two men's shelters in Uptown. And we've had varying degrees of success with that. But uh, again, happy to share more on some of our frustrations and observations as we've uh, gotten involved in this work. And what have you learned through your efforts to address the homelessness challenge uh, through the Uptown Alliance? Yeah, great question. Uh, I think our observations and frustrations, I think in working with the uh, on the Roy Street Shelter in our jobs program, uh, we made the rounds. I talked to a couple of store managers. I thought I would have to try to talk them into being interested in possibly hiring somebody who was homeless from these shelters. Um, we had learned, by the way, that the two men's shelters in Uptown uh, had both uh, both the Roy Street Shelter and the Blaine Center down in the Methodist Church Complex on Denny. Um, they house a combined total of about 160 men, and both are places where uh, men are either working or are eagerly seeking work. And so we thought, well, let's connect them up then with the jobs that are just a couple of blocks down the street. And I immediately found store managers and others who um, I just had to mention shelter and mention possible workers, and they couldn't talk about it fast enough and send them over and here are our rules, but call this person over here to really provide some personal attention to those folks. The grocery stores, the restaurants are having such a hard time finding workers these days. There's definitely a surplus of jobs in Uptown compared to the, to the workers. Uh, yes, hire the homeless. They live nearby. They're potentially more reliable workers and so on. And so we passed that information on to the shelter and then tried to seek more information from the shelter on, so what's the turnover rate in this place? And to what extent have you been able to connect people up with jobs? How many people are working? How many people are seeking work? What has been their experience? What can we learn from this that can help um, make their experiences better? And got a quick door shut on data. No data. Sorry, we don't know that information. There's nothing there that we can provide. And to us and to me, that becomes an area of frustration. So um, this, these, these great programs that we're trying to support, and they're helping people, uh, again, the city's outcomes seem to be too focused on the numbers of dollars they're making available to address homelessness and the number of bed nights that are available that the city funds. And then that's it. Well, what about the people themselves? And, and what about the um, successes or not of the programs helping folks on a path out of homelessness? I think that is something that, that we discovered a couple of years ago, and the situation has only lately begun to improve. What other observations have you noticed from your efforts to address the homeless challenge through Uptown Alliance? So turning to the tents on the sidewalks, uh, I think we've been in touch with city staff who have sent out navigation teams to engage with the folks to find out more what their story stories are and what kinds of things could help them the most. I think that, uh, that while some people take them up on those offers, we're finding that a number of people listen to the options and say, no thanks. I think we hear a lot from the city about how 
we really can't engage successfully with people until we have a full array of options available. And until we reach that point, it's difficult to expect people to uh, take advantage of, of some of the things the city offers. I think that, that we're finding a number of people. There is one guy in particular by Dick's parking lot, just as an example, that we've talked to. And um, I think he clearly has mental health issues that he's dealing with. He refuses help of any kind. He says, leave me alone. I'm doing fine. I like it out here. Um, it's it's um, hard to believe that people would like living on the streets. I'm a firm believer that most people don't want to do that, and most people do want help. Uh, but there, there is a small number of folks that resist and refuse those offers of help. I think this is where the the solution starts to become much more controversial. So what does compassion mean in Uptown for folks like that? Is it that it's fine for you to do whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want to do it? Or, no, this is not an option. Um, I think right now the, the police deal with people just off the sidewalk on technically private property, lickety-split. Um, that's illegal, and they're gone. When you you see s somebody sleeping in a doorway that you know is in an alcove off the street, off the public property, um, they're gone within a couple of days. But sidewalk, the whole different story. And the message needs to be able to be given to folks that this is not an option. So let's talk about the, the other kinds of options that are out there. So for somebody who thinks it's not compassionate to force somebody to move after they've kind of settled into a, a spot. Can you express your point of view? Oh, because I think, uh, for example, in the case of uh, the guy by Dick's parking lot, when I did check in with the city and they went out and talked to him, they got back to me and said that, well, he has a, a case manager and the case manager is attempting to address the mental health issues. I think there is a question whether, so do you let somebody like like this guy who has clear problems and issues, uh, just decide for himself that, no, he's fine. When you look at his living situation and the way that he is forced to exist out on that sidewalk and say, really, is this the best that we can do for him? Um, I think there are um, many stories out about the, the failures these days of the mental health system. And I think that this is one of the... Um, the evidences, I guess, of those failures, increasing numbers of people on the streets, living in tents, on the sidewalks, uh, sidewalks with mental illness. And we need to put our heads together and figure out a better way to address that. Are there any reasons to be optimistic in this time as this challenge gets stronger and more visible and, and more painful to the people experiencing it on the streets? Yeah, despite the problems that I've just talked about, I think there are many reasons to be optimistic, and there are many opportunities ahead that we're anxious to take advantage of that can address and help homelessness. The city has embarked on some new paths just in the last few years that I think will lead to some very good outcomes. Pathways out of homelessness, much more focus on what those pathways are. The outcomes that used to fo focus on just how much money are we spending on homelessness and how many bed nights are there are rapidly shifting over to jobs, case management, how do we reach people on an individual level, how do we get them on a path of helping themselves to get out of homelessness. Uh, the shelters are converting one by one to 24-7 from more limited hours 
and that is a very good thing. Navigation teams are being funded by the city to to engage people in more creative ways, I think, and, and address their needs in better ways. There is work at the county and the city higher levels on creating a, a better regional governance structure that can bring more focus in more positive ways to the issues that really need to um, be worked on the, the, the best and the, the most creatively. Any concluding thoughts? From my experience at the city, I know that homelessness has many causes. I know that there are many solutions needed to help many different kinds of folks. Uh, it's not going to be solved overnight. It will probably always be with us in one form or another. I think the city is, and the county both, are getting much better at identifying what needs to be done, working with the nonprofit groups to focus on outcomes that could be more productive to help people. I think that communities ideally uh, should get more involved in helping to identify homelessness needs within their community and figuring out ways to address those needs. I think the encampment issues, the tents on the sidewalk, is probably one of the more difficult issues in Uptown, but I think we need to come together again with the city and the county to, to work on that. Seattle Center is very interested in continuing to work with us on that issue. Uh, they face a lot of homelessness in the armory. That's where a lot of people hang out because there aren't other better places to be. And we need to work together on, on those kinds of challenges. A lot of work still to be done, uh, but a lot of great work is underway. Rick, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. You're welcome. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. And have you been impacted by homelessness? Or are you doing something unique to solve it? Even one person at a time? Reach out to me if you'd like to be a guest during this season of Seattle Growth Podcast. Next episode continues the season's focus on Seattle's most pressing issue. You'll hear from Walter Hudson, who I met at one of Seattle's tent cities. Each tent city is unique in its location and uh, unique in the number of people that are housed in the tents. And so there's a diversification. And you will hear from former Washington State Attorney General Rob McKenna. Businesses need to be have a voice of their own. They need to be politically active. They need to explain what's going to happen if we have bad policies or, or missing policies that either hurt the business climate in this area or that uh, don't produce the results we need. This episode and others will help you become a better informed citizen as the city wrestles with decisions that could profoundly affect you and shape Seattle for decades to come. I am Jeff Schulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey in the fifth season of Seattle Growth Podcast.